I grew up listening to a rather eclectic assortment of music. My dad liked music from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So I would sit in the back of a two-door Cadillac Eldorado and listen to all sorts of music. Anyone here a music fan? Do you remember a song like Running Bear and Little White Dove? Running Bear, love Little White Dove. Sound better on the radio. You guys know that one? How about, in 1814, we took a little trip along Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi, Battle of New Orleans? The one that my mom always gave my dad the look, in which I've taught my kids is the reason I'm such an unhappy man. You know that song? If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. Any happy guys out there, don't fall for the trap. Well, there was one song by Jim Croce. See, all these songs have nothing to do with God, but Jim Croce, you know Jim Croce? Yeah. He had a song that if he changed one letter in the song, it would be the most wonderful, biblically robust song. Do you know what the song is? No? It's a song about things you don't do. Sing it with me. You don't tug on Superman's cape, right? You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger and you don't mess around with. No, that's where he messed it up. If he made that J an S, if that J was an S, you don't mess around with sin. Whoa, don't pull on Superman's cape, see? That is what our text is about today. And you all can begin praying for me to draw me back into the scriptures because now my head is swimming with all these songs I grew up with. Mark 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The word of the Lord. If you will remember, a few weeks ago, we saw the transition to where Jesus began to teach and equip the disciples to carry out the ministry he would entrust to them. We saw the father of the boy with the demon who cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you remember that? We saw how much faith we need. We just need a speck the size of a mustard seed. After that text, we came to a variety of, of wonderful teachings. And last week, we looked at the Lord speaking of humility. We saw the danger of pride. We saw the example of humility that we have in Christ. And today, our Lord will speak to sin. Who here likes to play around with sin for a little bit? Don't raise your hands, but we all do. The Lord's teaching is striking, severe, frightening, and wonderful. Did you hear what he said in that text? If you're going to sin, in order to stop yourself, you should lop a hand, rip an eye, and chop a foot. Any one-eyed, one-handed, and one-foot folks here? 
maybe we should have some. So as we get into the text, I want to approach it in four points. What not to do, why not to do it, how not to do it, and how do we pull this off? So number one, what not to do. Now I'm going to warn you here, we're going to, we're going to poke a little bit. We're going to get a little too close to home and I'm going to offend somebody. But understand, it's not me offending you, it's Christ. Okay, this is the Word of God. I found this personally offensive, so if I'm going to be offended, you're going to be offended alongside me. Notice what verse 42 says. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. Who's a little one? Cariel, right? Cariel is a little one. Anyone here trying to get Cariel to sin? The text isn't talking about Cariel. It is, but not totally. Can I introduce you to another little one? It's a cute guy, real cute little guy. He's going bald on top. He's talking to you right now. I'm a little one. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a little one. Now look closely at what he just said here. Whoever causes a Christian person to sin, it would be better if you had a massive piece of stone with a hole in the middle, hung around your head, and were cast into the sea and die. Do we have any children of God here through Christ? I assume a couple. Amen? I want you to understand what Jesus just said. If you cause another one of your brothers and sisters, he's talking to the disciples, another one of your brothers or sisters in Christ to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. You say, say what? <laughs> now, has anyone come here today with an intentionality of causing a fellow brother or sister in Christ to sin? I have some crack cocaine in the corner. We have some women of ill repute in the carport, some, some alcohol hidden in the classrooms downstairs, and some pornography showing in the uh, corner. Yeah? God forbid, right? Has anyone shown up with a desire to cause someone to sin? So why does Jesus put this in here if none of us are intentionally trying to cause other believers to sin? Does anyone know? Because I'm stumped. Could it be that maybe we do try to cause others to sin without realizing it? Is that possible? Let me propose there are three ways that we lead other Christians to sin. Directly and intentionally. Gossip. Anyone ever gossip? Is my mic on? Renee, do you know where Patty is today? Do you know? See what I would just do? Patty's in California celebrating her mom's birthday. She's fine. But sometimes we gossip, and when we cause someone to gossip with us, you know what we're causing them to do? We're causing them to sin, and the Lord says, get that millstone out. Y'all chill out a minute. Anyone ever do that? Invite someone to an ungodly activity or enterprise. Maybe invite someone to go somewhere where you shouldn't be going, and you drag them along with you. Not me. Never. Nope. How about the unintentional indirect sins? We got any dads here? Ephesians 6.4. Dylan, Danielle, plug your ears. Tomasetti kids, clump them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We never do that, right? Mm. Those situations where without thinking about it, we lead someone away. I see this all the time. You've got to think, folks. Culturally, parents in particular. We have these dreams for our kids, and we try to pursue these dreams to make them happy, to make them fit in, to give them everything the world has to offer, so they can be celebrated and influential and recognized. And when it takes the place of Christ, you have led your child astray. Millstone. 
We use our freedom in Christ at times, unawares, and lead people astray. You ever go out drinking with somebody and later find out they're an alcoholic? It happens. How about failing to stimulate righteousness? Hebrews 10.24. You know that verse? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as the day draws near. I'm not after church attendance, folks. I'm after mutual upbuilding and encouragement. I shouldn't say I am the Lord Jesus is. Did you know skipping church regularly causes others to sin? Because you're not using the spiritual gifts that God has entrusted to you for the mutual upbuilding of the saints? You see how we all do this at times and in various ways? And Jesus is saying, stop and think, folks, because if you lead one of my children to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be cast in the sea. So my friends, my point is, and the point that Jesus is making is you're all going to hell. That can't be the case, is it? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But when we're saved by grace through faith, our faith works. Now, look what happens here. Why should we not do this? Why is it such a big deal to cause another Christian to sin, even in the smallest possible way? Do you have a Bible? If you don't have one, bring one next time. Grab one this time. You know why? You better make sure what I'm saying matches up with this. Amen? Turn way, way back to the left to Genesis 12. At the beginning of Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, right? Verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And God sets a principle. And the principle is this, God identifies uniquely and closely with his people. My friends, watch the beauty and frightening wonder of this. Zechariah 2.8 For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory, send me to the nations who plunder you, for he who touches the apple of his eye. Now hang on a minute, do you know what the apple of your eye is? It's the black of your eye. Do you know what happens if you poke God's people, the apple of his eye? You poke the Lord himself in the eye. Listen, my friends, don't tug on Superman's cape. Don't spit in the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And you do not poke the Lord in the eye. You do not mess around with sin. This is a big deal. If you're a Christian, do you know what I just said, though? You are the apple of God's eye. Failing, falling to the ground, this guy Saul, remember him, Damascus, Acts 9? Said to, Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Is that what it says? Mm. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, Lord, who are you? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Persecute a Christian, you persecute the Lord. Poke a Christian, you poke the Lord. Dishonor or harm a Christian, you mess with God. My friends, we do not cause one another to sin because as Christians, God dwells with us and identifies with us in that serious business. I don't care very much if you like me, but the Lord does care if you love me. The Lord will not tolerate me treating any one of you in a poor manner because you are the Lord's. You don't mess with my boys. You know why they're my boys? And the Lord Jesus says, you don't mess with my kids either. Do you see that? Look around, family. You are God's. Y'all better take care and for each other seriously, says the Lord. You tracking with me here? 1 Corinthians 6.17 6, 
He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That is a marvelous, marvelous truth. God has his eye upon us. He's engraved our name on the palm of his hand. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And to the believer, he says, your family. And when I was a little kid, my daddy said to me, you better treat your sister right. That is your sister, son. And you better look out for her and care for her. And don't you mess with her. That's what he told me. Well, the Lord Jesus took that to another level. And he said, I chose the family. I put you in my family. And you all will care for one another and love one another as I love the church. And by this, they will know that you are my disciples. This is easy stuff, isn't it? Isn't it so easy to love one another and never cause one another to stumble? Now, let me say as an aside to see if you're awake, this is AP Christian stuff, advanced placement. This is for luxury accommodations in heaven, amen? <laughs> if you don't care about each other and you don't inter interact with one another and you lead one another to sin, Jesus doesn't really care. I'm waiting for the lightning bolt to hit me. This is just for the advanced Christians, yes? Somebody say no. This is basic discipleship 101. This is crazy, but this is important. This is serious. This is severe, but this is wonderful. So how do we not lead other Christians to sin? Chop off your hand, take off a foot, rip out an eye. Do you know what you get? A holy follower of Christ, amen? What do you get? A one-eyed, one-handed, one-foot sinner. Does your hand cause you to sin? Does that, does that cause you to sin? Your foot? What causes you to sin? Right. These are instruments of sin. What Jesus is saying is, whatever is most important in your life that causes you to sin, that you think is so important, be prepared to get rid of it no matter what. How, how valuable? Hand, foot, eye. Okay, what do you have in your life right now that causes you to sin? Now, do you know what one of the leading struggles people have in our culture is with, with these uh, devices here? Internet pornography, did you know that? If you interact with a, a young man in particular, women struggle with it as well, between the ages of 18 and 35, roughly 80 to 85% of them struggle with an addiction to internet pornography. That's a big deal. Do you know an easy way to stop addiction to internet pornography? Get rid of the computer and don't go on the internet. You know what people say, I can't do that. Really? Would you lose the hand or the foot or the eye? These things here, I don't even know where I put mine. Anybody have one of these? If you use it to sin and it leads you into sin, could you get rid of it? The Lord says you must. Do you ever participate in activities that draw you away from God? The Lord says, get rid of it. You tracking with me here? Now you can have a phone and you can have an iPad and you can partake in activities, but if they cause you to sin repetitively, the Lord is saying, be serious, and here's why. The easiest way not to cause another person to sin is not to sin yourself. Or said another way, as we walk in righteousness, we lead people in righteousness for the glory of God. As we walk in sin, we lead people in sin. And this is serious business. Now, let's be honest. Who's getting rid of the television, the smartphone, the computer, extracurricular activities, and drink, and all sorts of things like television? Anybody? But would you be willing to, for the glory of God, to walk with God for the care of the saints? Do you see what I'm doing here? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? 
If you sit down in front of the TV and you get sucked in and you get addicted to binge watching and, and watching these, these home shopping channels and you're going into debt by them and you're watching scantily clad ladies and, and men running across the place and you're consuming profanity and you're never reading your Bible and you don't give a lick about Jesus, you know what you might want to consider? Two things. One, you never really knew him. Or two, you don't want to mess around with sin. You know, a TV is not a bad thing. I have cable in my house. But who controls who is the question we ask. This is a wonderful thing, unless it controls me. This is a wonderful thing, unless it controls me. This is a wonderful thing, unless it controls me. I like these things, unless they control me. And that's what Jesus is saying, is if it controls you, if it causes you to sin or leads you to sin, lop it, cut it, rip it. Why? My friends, because he's a party pooper who wants us to have no fun. Jesus came that we may be miserable, not have fun with the world, and simply avoid going to hell. No? What's it say in John 10? I came that they may have life and have it minusculely. Amen. Fully and abundantly. Jesus is showing us how to live. Jesus says, don't cause another one to sin the way you call you. That is not the gift of tongues. That is a misplaced tongue. The way that you do not lead a person into sin is to walk in righteousness, and you pursue righteousness so severely that you would be willing to get rid of anything in your life that stands in your way. And we say, but Jesus, I'll be miserable. <laughs> he says, really? How's that going for you now? Jesus, you don't know. Oh, really? I don't. Jesus, you don't know what to do. Really? Who? Remember Joe? Who formed you? Who made everything? You want to question me? Jesus came that we might have life, have it abundantly. Put this down to think about. Unless you want to come up and discuss it with everybody right now. What in your life right now is causing you to sin? And are you willing to get rid of it? No matter what. Behavior, relationship, an item, are you willing to get rid of it no matter what? You say, why, why though? Do I have to? No, but you should want to. Why would I want to, my friends? Do you remember the first nine chapters we looked at here? I am the good shepherd. I'm in John there, but Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't say, go to church on Sunday to bore yourself and listen to this man up front drone on and on and on. No. Jesus says, follow me. He will make us fishers of men. He will give us life abundantly. We will bear much fruit. We will have disciples who make disciples. We will have the desires of our heart met and satiated, not only in this life, but far more so in the life to come. He says, live for the line and not the dot. Press on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. You say, but Jesus, I'll be honest, I don't care at times. I don't want to do it at times. I don't know how to do it at times. And then just go back and remember, how much faith do you need to pull this off? Yeah, and then you can say to this mountain, move, and it'll be cast into the sea. And we talked about, for Paul in particular, how that's not for the work you do. You can't just tell this big boulder to move and try to save time. Not topology, not geography. It's faith. How much faith do you need? Grain of mustard seed. 
You need to activate it. How do you activate it? Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, do you really believe that you should fight and flee sin this severely? See, the devil has a plan. Let me give you his plan. <sighs> Deal with it tomorrow. So you're struggling with something right now, some type of area of sin, right? You're struggling with it tomorrow. Always tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And the Lord Jesus has a plan for dealing with it. Violently, viciously, totally, completely, and right this very second. Why? Because sin is crouching at your door, my friends. The, the devil, he wants to chew you up, spit you out, ruin you, shipwreck you, and make you miserable, or keep you in hell. Hmm. Jesus says, I have a plan for you. I have a future and a hope. So how do we do it? Look at verse 49 to 50. What the heck is this about? Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? I have no idea. Let's just skip that because the sermon works so much better without that strange two verses. What does salt have to do with fire? Does anyone know? Let's try it this way. Anybody awake? Amen. All right. Does anybody know? Good. So I'll make something up. This is why you bring Bibles, my friends. Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus, the first few chapters deal with offerings, sacrifices and offerings. There are five main types. Burnt, sin, peace, guilt, and grain. And when you get to the grain offering, you see salt and fire together. And the grain offering was put on the altar, and it was covered with salt, and it was burned. And it was an offering of dedication and devotion. It reminded the people of the dedication and devotion of the Lord himself to his people and the call on the Lord to his people to be dedicated and devoted to him. That's salt and fire. Now watch. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? I'll tie these together, but watch this. Pliny, the historian, tells us that in Israel at this time, there was a large deposit of salt mixed with gypsum. And do you know what the gypsum did to the salt? You guys got salt and gypsum at the restaurant? The gypsum takes away the saltiness of the salt. And what the Lord is saying is live your lives as grain offerings, holy and pleasing to God, and don't mix sin in. Because if you mix the sin in with your lives, you lose your saltiness. And Jesus says to us Christians, be salty, my friends. Where do you find the grain offering in the New Testament? You go to Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You remember that one in Romans 12 too? Well, 12.1 says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Salt and fire. We are saved by God, from God, and for God. Jesus saved us, in part to care for one another, in part to walk in righteousness, and in part to represent him to a lost world and declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, do you know what Jesus wants for you in life? Abundant, joyful life with him for his glory, for our joy, and for the sake of the lost. I'll say it again. He wants to give us abundant, joyful life with him for his glory, for our joy, and for the sake of the lost. And we do this as we don't mix sin in and care for one another. Have you ever met an independent, isolated Christian who walks in incredible maturity? Doesn't happen. You know why? Now, I should say in rare exceptions it happens if the Lord doesn't have believers around them to help them. But my friends, we are made as a body. And do you know what you call a body with no legs? A body with no legs. But a body that doesn't move very well. 
Church called body with no eyes. It's a body with no eyes, but it can't see very well. A body with a mouth that wants to be a foot and a toe that wants to be an ear and an eye that wants to be a belly button. You say, this is a giant mess. And my friends, do you know what the church has become too often? A giant mess. But Jesus says here, listen, leg, if you skip church all the time, we can't walk real well, can we? I, if you're not caring for the other members of the church, how are we going to see so well? Ear, if you're not listening and loving or you're walking in sin, how can we hear? So the church looks kind of like this. And the world looks at us and goes, But as we walk in righteousness, as we love one another, as we diligently and doggedly fight sin and flee sin and help one another walk in righteousness, as we remain salty, my friends, do you know what we do? We bring glory to God, we show love to one another, and we're a visible witness of Christ on earth. Now, how the heck do you do that? What's the most precious thing you have in your life right now? Let me rephrase. What should be the most precious thing you have in your life right now? The Lord Jesus Christ. And as you understand the surpassing worth and value of the Lord Jesus and what it is that we receive in the gospel and to what we are called and what we are and what we are being made and to where we are going, all of a sudden everything pales in comparison. And it is Christ alone that we seek after. And we trust in our good shepherd that he's leading us to life abundantly and not to misery. And when he says, do not be anxious about anything and we know who he is, do you know what we can be? anxious about nothing. When he says, rejoice always, and we trust in him and walk with him and keep our eye upon him, you know what we can do? Rejoice always. When he says, be still and know that I am God, you know what we can do? We can set our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, glorious, complete. You don't have to earn God's favor, my friends. You can't earn God's favor, but Jesus earned it for you. And Jesus saved you to a family, his family. And he says, y'all need to care for one another. And the best way to care for one another is by walking in holiness. And you pursue this with such dogged determination that whatever you have in your life that is causing you to sin or to lead others to sin, either directly or indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally or by omission, get rid of it. You say, but I can't. And Jesus says through Paul, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Listen, sometimes we do crazy things as Christians and the world will look and say, that's not going to work. I was reading in Romans today, and Abram was promised by God that he would bear a son, a child, an heir. Remember that? And it tells us in Romans, I believe it's four. He says, Abram believed the promise of God and believed that God was able to do exactly what he said. My friends, as you walk with God in the stewardship of your time and talent and treasure in all of your life, guess what? He's not going to ruin you. He's going to make a spectacle of you. He's going to give you abundant life and he's going to use you to lead others in righteousness. This is serious business. And how do we do this? We deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow him. Why do we want to know this? Why do we want to do this, I should say? Because we know Christ. We know who he is and what he has done and what he is making us into. In John 10.10, he reminds us the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you know where sin leads? 
According to this text, it leads straight to hell. Anybody want to go to hell? Do you know where righteousness leads? To life with Christ eternal forevermore. You say, but I've caused people to sin. I don't walk in righteousness. I don't want to lop off my hands or my feet or stop and rest in Jesus, trust in him, turn to him. Lord Jesus, I don't want to sin, but I do want to sin. I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And it's not me who, ah, Romans, right? We're back in Romans again. You know the do-do-do chapter of Romans 7? If you don't know it, check it out. You as a Christian will have a daily battle with wanting to do what the flesh wants you to do and wanting to do what the Spirit wants you to do. And our job is to depend on the Spirit and say, Lord Jesus, help! I am weak! I am bad! I am sinful! I want to walk in the flesh. Lord Jesus, help me to you alone be the glory. And do you know what He will do? He will help us. I'll close you out with this one line right here. The kingdom of God is of inestimable worth. And it is that worth our lives will show that we put on it when we know what it is and have received it. Do you know how valuable and precious and wonderful Jesus is? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you understand the cost at which Jesus reconciled you to himself? Do you understand to what he has saved you? The answer if you're saved is yes, and not really. And as we walk in righteousness, little by little, day by day, we understand more fully to the point one day we can get to the stage where we say and understand what it is when we say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What it is Jesus is calling us to hear, what it is we are to lead one another in, what it is we are to proclaim to the lost people is this, my friends, it is life and life abundantly as we were made to have it with God and for the glory of God, who then gives us joy of inestimable value. So where in your life are you playing around with sin today? You see, Jim Croce was a wise, wise man. You don't tug on Superman's cape, but Superman ain't real. You don't spit into the wind, it's just not a good thing to do. You can always wipe your eye clear. You don't tug the mask off the old Lone Ranger. Why? But one thing he got right, you do not mess around with sin. The Lord Jesus says, deal with it today, deal with it deliberately and deal with it severely for his glory, for our joy, and for the sake of the lost. The Lord Jesus dealt with it. And that is what we celebrate when we take communion as a church family. Here's a requirement to take communion. You ready? You must be a child of God by grace through faith. You must have trusted in the work of Christ alone for your salvation, and you are welcome to the table. And at this table, we are in part reminded, in part empowered, and in part rejoicing of the finished work of the Lord Jesus as we await his return. Amen? We're remembering what Jesus has done in our place and asking him through his spirit to empower us to walk in like manner. Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. He walked in perfection, and that's what God demands of us. Not because he's a cruel taskmaster but he's a loving creator God who made us to live fully human lives. We all live subhuman lives. 
Jesus lived a fully human life in our place, by grace, through faith. And Lord Jesus, we, we ask you as we partake that you would remind us of the inestimable worth of the kingdom so that we might celebrate as a church family and be nourished by your spirit to know you more fully, to walk with you more passionately, and to flee sin severely. Lord Jesus, we pray that you may strengthen us and encourage us through the Lord's table today. We pray that you would remind us of who you are and who we are in you. That you would remind us of what you have called us from and called us to. Lord Jesus, please empower us to flee sin and to love one another. Empower us to bring glory to you. Strengthen us as we await your return and allow us to live lives where we seek to glorify you and you alone in every way. Lord, we are creatures who are attracted to sin. Even us who are forgiven by grace, we still struggle with the flesh. But Lord, help us struggle. Help us never be complacent. Help us to flee sin. Help us to not ever hear the lie of the devil tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. No, today. Lord, today help us to flee sin. Help us to identify sin. Help us to, to walk away from sin and to walk in righteousness. And Lord, as we come to your table, may we come with right hearts. Lord, I, I recently dealt with a conversation where I was speaking with someone about who's worthy to come to the table, and they felt it was by observation to determine who is worthy. Lord, may none of us feel worthy to come to this table on our own, but may we rejoice in the fact that despite the fact none are worthy, it is through your work that we can come to the table in a worthy manner. Lord Jesus, help us to see you clearly to recognize the severity and the seriousness of sin. It is so severe and so serious, Lord God, that you sent your son to die on a cross, to lay down his life, because the wages of sin is death. Yet, Lord, we still play around with sin. As we hammer another nail into your hand, proverbially speaking. Lord, help us to see sin as you see it. Help us be disgusted by it. Help us see one another as you see us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, children of the Most High King, image bearers reconciled and redeemed by the blood of Christ. And as we come forward and partake today as brothers and sisters in Christ, we pray we would be strengthened and reminded and we would do so in a manner wholly pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. For those of you who have trusted in Christ, I invite you to come forward down the center. Return to your seats by the outside. We will have a song playing for us during our time in communion, and I will close with a benediction. So I invite you to come forward.